Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, good morning. You know, it's, uh, we don't really talk about what songs to sing and what to say in communion or when even to have communion, so it's always good when all that's lining up with what's in your heart, right? That's a, that's a little heart warmer for the preacher. So, so we're going to talk about glory a little bit. We're going to talk about gr- the cross and sin and communion and glory a little bit. And so, amen? And I uh, love you guys. I feel it's so good to worship together. You could sense, the, sense God's glory even in worship, couldn't you? So I'd like you to just have a position in your heart just like we were, like we were singing. What was sweeping in? What was that song? Glory was sweeping in. So is it possible that as we bring the word, glory can just keep on sweeping in? So that you just position your heart for, to invite God to just keep sweeping in and be with his glory. His glory fills the earth. It's been filling. It's filling it now, and it will fill. It's coming in the temple. Like his train is filling the temple. It's filled the temple. It's going to fill the temple. And so glory, glory. Come on, glory. Can't get enough glory. So Jesus had a destiny. His destiny was Jerusalem, and his destiny was the cross. And that destiny was in order to create a destiny for you, and your destiny is glory. So let's let it keep coming in. In fact, the cross is the most important event in human history. In Hebrews 2.10, if you'll open your book, I hope you brought a Bible or you brought a phone that's got a Bible, a way to take a note. We're going to touch on a lot of scriptures, and the Holy Spirit's going to want you to go back and look at one before the day's over, maybe more than one. So uh, pull up Hebrews 2.10. This is not a common verse. It's not one that we talk about all the time, for it was fitting for him for whom all things and through through whom are all things. He's basically saying there, all things were made in Christ. He holds everything together. There's this, uh, those of you study or math geeks, there's this uh, engineering principle. The second law of thermodynamics says everything tends toward disorder. Like the universe is spreading out. This is a law, not a theory. So, and, and things are, are, are moving. They say the universe is just continues with his word. It just keeps moving. So if you, things tend toward disorder. If you've ever been to my office, seen my desk, things tend toward disorder. If you've been in the two-year-old nursery, things tend toward disorder. But he holds it all together. Jesus is holding it together. He's holding things together by whom all things were made. In bringing many sons to glory to perfect the originator of their salvation through sufferings. Some of the other versions are interesting, but I've been noticing there's a link between glory and suffering in the Bible. So God speaks often to me, the Holy Spirit, through divine coincidence. So you just start seeing this link. And so it's an invitation. What is there? What's the truth there? What's the nugget where suffering and glory happen? And one of the places you see it is in the cross, that Jesus suffered on the cross, the link so that you might experience glory. So there's an exchange that happens on the cross, and he suffered so that we might be glorified. Sin, he became sin in um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, I always had kind of the image like all the sins, we used to talk about the sins were laid upon him. 
that's fine, possibly true, but that verse, 1 Corinthians 5, says that he literally became a curse. It's 11.11. What I'm saying right now is really true. He became sin. And so he became sin in exchange that you might be righteous. And that better warm our hearts. Like, that's, a good, that's good news, amen? He, his body was broken. There were stripes on his back in exchange so that you might be healed. One that's a little harder to understand, sometimes he became poor so that you might be rich. He humbled himself on the cross. Now, we just, uh, we just celebrated communion. And many of you know, uh, my first 17 years, I was sort of unchurched. And so then I, I kind of went around and checked out bunches of churches. And so the liturgical churches, the high churches, the Catholic churches I visited, the, the uh, Episcopal churches, the high churches, that you know, there was communion every week. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, but, and there was a sense, though, of coming back every Sunday to confess my sin and to get right with God, take communion, not a bad thing. But there is a, uh, you know, we become what we behold. So uh, there was a beautiful thing in that, but there, there was also, for me, missing, where, where's the victory out of this? And when you read the scriptures, God is, uh, God is calling us out of this place of sin into a place of victory. In fact, let's, let's look at that in Scripture, Ro- Romans 6. Our culture has become, is uh, shaking so much that um, for the first time in my life, you almost have to define sin. Like it's, it's not everybody agrees what sin is anymore. Amen? That's a, that's a problem. That tells you there's a cultural shift and shaking going on. And um, so let's talk about that first. Like, what is sin? So I would tell you, you shouldn't believe your pastor when he tells you it's sin. You definitely shouldn't believe the culture norms. You shouldn't believe your political party. You shouldn't believe Hollywood. Even church denominations that have believed one way for hundreds of years are shifting on certain issues, moral issues. So I'm not sure you can trust your denomination. The foundation of what sin is should be defined by the Bible. That's the only place I know to go. And, and it, should, it should resonate with the spirit that's within us. The spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm born again, Romans 8 says. But the spirit should testify when I read the word of God, the spirit of God that's holy inside of us, the Holy Spirit should agree with the Bible. The Bible is the plumb line for, for what is defined as sin. Not me, not cultural norms, not a denomination. The, that, that, the Bible is God's heart. That's his view, his heart, his He's giving us a sign that points this way. This is sin. This is not sin. Amen? So, so in, we have defined sin in Romans 6 if you start going there. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 1 that has always bothered me. It's in my top 10 worst verses in the Bible. My kids tell me, Dad, you've got like 45 top 10 worst verses in the Bible. And this one takes you into angst. It takes you into like, what's going on here? I really wish this verse wasn't in the Bible. And it's, be holy as I am holy. It'd be like your dad telling you, I'll approve of you if you run a three-minute mile. Like, I can't physically run a three-minute mile. So, Dad, are you mean? Are you a masochist? Are you, what, are you cruel? What, what's going on here? 
For we all, uh, you want to talk unity, we all have one thing in unified common. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? We can agree with that. And so is that, use, that verse used to bother me. And now I see it through different eyes. I see it as an invitation. Like God, and he, he's sticking with me like, be holy as I'm holy. I, well, I'm not holy, God. I, you know, I can tell you a handful of sins I'm dealing with. I, I'm not holy. Be holy as I'm holy. There's an invitation. And we'll talk about it. I, a few, um, earlier this summer, I speak, spoke on the cross and the gospel. And remember, we talked about you were known before the foundation of the world. And we get here to the podium, let's call that the cross, and something happened at the cross. But our destiny, as we talked about, is glory. Our destiny at the end is that he, he's called us to something better and huge and magnificent and wonderful, too wonderful to imagine. Remember we talked about Romans 8, 29? And you remember that verse that, that you've been predestined. You've been, you were foreknown. Like over on Highway 74 in the timeline, he knew you before the foundation of the world. But now you've been foreknown to be conformed to the image of Christ. Like you've been predestined from the foundation of the world. He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. How's that going to happen? And he's whispering in his word and his Holy Spirit's whispering in his ear, I want you to be holy as I'm holy. He's not a bad father. He's not a mean father. So what's going on? Because your destiny is here to be a son and daughter of a son of the day, a daughter of the light, to be glorified because that's the price he paid on the cross for us. And he's called you to reign in life, to be free, to walk around in a heaven that's been prepared. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We have this, it's almost so great we can't really fathom it or believe it. And we're at the cross, and for most of us, we're on this side of the cross, past the cross, but not to glory yet. How do we get there? What's the route? Who will lead us? So let's see what the Bible says about it. Be holy as I am holy. So in Romans 6, Romans 6 is like, it, it's like the heavy weight, weight meat of the word. You know, there's some fluffy psalms that are kind of like whipped cream. But this is like a, a 12-ounce New York strip. You know those ones with a lot of pepper on it and just cook perfectly medium rare, and you put it in your mouth? Really shouldn't do this to people before lunch um, or me. But you know that kind of steak that you have to chew like 30 times, and it still has a flavor like at 29, it's still giving you something? That's Romans 6. This is a heavy, meaty weight of the word. And it doesn't come, honestly, it, does, it, it comes, uh, you can't catch this. I can't catch this with my head, with reason, with my mind. This comes by faith and by the spirit. And I honestly feel like I don't have it all yet. So I, I want a full disclosure. but I'm being invited into this, and so are you. In verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We just took communion. You've been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him 
through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory, there it is, his word again, through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for the one who has died is freed from sin. Amen? It's a glorious promise. When our beautiful, perfect, glorious Lord died on a cross, it says you were in him. It doesn't say you might be in him. If you'll, if you'll do this, ABC, you're in him. It doesn't say once you get the revelation, it says you're in him. It says, Steve, you're in him. And you were buried with him. And you died with him. And the old man, that old man, Adam's sin, that Adam's sin nature that all of us had, that made us sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. Sounds like a cute little preacher phrase. It's actually great theology. Your sinning was a byproduct of an Adamic sin nature. That was just the fruit of being born into sin. It's not our fault. On the cross, as you come by faith into Jesus, buried with him, and you come to him by faith, it says he puts the Holy Spirit in us. And there's a second Adam, a new Adam. And we're tied to this Adam. The second Adam, Jesus, is the one. And we've been broken from the first Adam and the sin nature. And we've been buried with him. And we come up in newness of life. And the chain has been broken. And there's a, not a legal requirement to sin any longer. You're no longer a professional. You no longer have to do it. It's not fun anymore. Maybe for a moment, but it's not fun anymore. I just pray the glory of the Lord will just rest on the house. How do we get here? Why is he whispering, can you be holy like I'm holy? I did something on the cross. It's done. You were in me. In the spiritual realm, it's done. You have to reckon yourself, one of the versions says. That guy was from the south. <laughs> you know, I reckon. I reckon I'm fixing to go up to Jerusalem, and I reckon, I reckon myself dead to sin, brother. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Is that what it takes to get a response out of you guys? Let's just go country. Come on. My goodness, that's the best response we've had all day. Reckoning myself to de as dead. I prayed, like, God, I, I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. Like, I, I prayed, I'm not going to have an altar call today. I think it's, it'd be easy to get you to respond. I, 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 want, I want it to be so real. Yesterday, I, I just prayed a prayer like, God, I want to be dead to sin. I want to, I want to acknowledge what happened on the cross. I want it appropriated in me. I want to be part of this thing you're doing in mankind, bringing sons 
Ladies, you're in the sons, right? Bringing sons to glory. So how do we get there? I, I got some. I feel like I feel like I've got some steps to get there. So we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We get there by becoming what we behold, do, like doing what we did in worship today. Like we're gazing upon the Lord. We're glancing at the stuff. We're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to us. But we become what we behold. Scripture says, like, a, like through a glass dimly, but as we're, we're trying to find him, it's almost as if he's, his light, his countenance, who he is, is peeking through. Oswald Chambers in his famous devotional said, every, every time I obey, it's like a pinhole goes through and a little bit more of his light and countenance shines through. We become like whom we behold. For me, I, I don't always want to gaze upon the Lord. So what happens when, when it's not a get to, but it feels like a got to? I want it to be a want to, get to, not a got to, have to. Not a duty to. And sometimes... If we're honest, sometimes it's in the got to, have to, duty to realm. Like, I know I'm supposed to do that. I just don't feel like it. Has anybody else been there? And I'm like, God, I, I know I, I should want to. I know I, what a privilege to get to. I don't know what else to do but to say, you know, it's, it's only by his grace that we and so when I, when I get in the have-to realm and I want to get in the get-to realm, I'm like, God, forgive me. Change my heart. Repent. Change my perspective. Bring grace so that I'll be in the get-to because I want to gaze upon his glory and be changed by him. We gaze upon him. I think there's a theme of this church that is part of this process. I think it was given to get us there. I think the Holy Spirit gave it to give us there, get us there. And years ago in the ABC building, I, I remember just feeling overwhelmed by all these big words like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I'm like, God, would you just give us something a little closer, something we can get our hands on? Like, could you bring it from way out there, you're going to change the planet, and then you're going to go to the next universe and change it? <laughs> like, could you bring it a little closer, God? And we heard the Holy Spirit say, will you... Be all about the presence, my presence. And you know, his presence in the Hebrew is also his face. They're almost synonymous. When we say gaze upon the Lord, we're talking presence. Would you be preeminently about the presence? Would you be radical in worship? And you know, those are almost kind of the same because we enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We enter his presence with thankfulness and praise and worship takes us to his presence and his face. So it's kind of 1A and 1B, right? His presence and worship. Are y'all there? Okay, I know that I got the key now. And then we said... Um, 
Would you hear his voice? And when you hear it, would you run to obey? You know, in half the churches in the West, if you say you can hear his voice, they look at you like, what you saying, boy? But it's in Scripture. My sheep hear my voice. It's biblical. We're not making this up. My sheep hear my voice. I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord. We would admit it's more art than science. But he speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks right now, hopefully. He speaks through nature. He speaks through his song. He speaks when you're in his presence. He speaks by coincidence. He speaks always. Sometimes it's in English. He's speaking. He speaks to you differently than he speaks to me. I'm, I can't be jealous of the way he speaks to another person. I can be, but I shouldn't be. I mean, I can be jealous of the way Blake sees, but I shouldn't be. Because even for Blake, there's a realm of faith, he would tell you, wouldn't he? As cool as it sounds, God keeps a thin line of faith that's required. Because we come to him by faith. We come to him as little children. We come by faith. And so obedience is not a dirty word to me. In fact, um, I, loved, uh, I loved Dan's message about fathers and being discipled. I've loved all the messages lately. I, I put a, like a stake in the ground about eight weeks ago and just started like, how are these going? If I didn't have to go here, I'd really go here. Like, I, these, these young people are, uh, I, I love, I kind of love the way it's going. Like, there's a biblical principle that's out there and is identified. And then people come up and be vulnerable about how this is processing through their lives. And how the Word and how the Holy Spirit processing through their lives and try to take a piece of their life off and share. And I think that's a beautiful way to teach. But I've been discipled. I wish I could tell you I'd had a, somebody that met with me once every couple of weeks or a month and discipled me. I, I, I would count that beautiful, wonderful. But I know I've been discipled as a baby Christian at 17 for seven years by Charles Stanley being there two or three times a week. I was discipled by someone who didn't know me. But through honor, you can receive grace. And I've been discipled by Bill and Chris and Bill Johnson and Chris Valton and others in Reading. And though they may know us, we're not having coffee every week. I'm being discipled through honor. And I've been discipled by this little green book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. Oswald's been probably passed before I was born. And if you look in the index under obedience, there's 70 different days. This is a daily devotional, so there's 365 entries, 70 he touches on obedience. I've been discipled by Oswald. And I love the concept of obedience. Because through obedience, obedience is really where the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's job is to, one of his jobs, other than comforter and guider and all the gifts of the Spirit and 
one of his jobs is to take, to conform you into the image of Christ. He has a role to be taking you into sons of glory. He's taking you to be a daughter of light and a son of day. And he's speaking, he's whispering in your ear, and he's working things in your life to make you like Jesus. That's the goal of this whole thing. He wants, and, and interestingly enough, suffering is a part of this deal, which is really weird to me. Like, you're taking us clearly through your Bible to reign in life, abundant life, walk streets of gold, glorified. And you did something fabulous on the cross, but in between, there's some trials. All of us. Do I hear an amen? There's trials. You know the scriptures, right? Count it all joy. That's one of my top 10 dislike verses in the Bible. One of the 45. What do you mean, count it all joy when everything goes to heck? Count it all joy, brother, because the trying of your patience. Anybody know that verse? Where is it? James 1, 2, right? Let's look it up. I had it written down here. I just lost it for a minute. Let's all read one of the worst verses in the Bible. <laughs> Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Be holy as I am holy. Almost all of us, when stuff goes wrong, we are just trying to get out of it. Get behind me, Satan. This can't be Jesus. And I'm not saying bad stuff is coming to us necessarily. There are times when it does come from Satan, right? There may be times when God and his permissive will allows things to let us be conformed to the image of his son. It's there in the Bible. We charismatics don't really like that part of it. But what if we embrace the trials and look, at least take a second to discern Lord, are you trying to conform me to the image of your son? Can I biblically go through this trial with joy and endurance? And can I, under this crucible, it's almost like the chemist with that crucible and they're, they're pounding out that pill into, or, or there's a beautiful flower and it's being crushed under this crucible, what fragrance comes out? Because I'm convinced that what he wants is as we go through the trials of life, they don't seem to go away, that the fragrance of Jesus would be known amongst us. Lindy and I had a chance to spend some time with a missionary who was behind communist lines and kind of in underground, if you will, and 
they were a powerful couple, be successful in anything they ever did, and their kids were not able to be around them, and they were barely had to talk to them in code. And we left like there was no guile in them. There was no self-pity. There was no, there was no junk on them. Under the, what many people would call suffering, they were finding joy. And we sensed the presence of the king. Three days later, I'm like, what is that? the presence of the king, the fragrance of the Lord. So... So we, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says we can be dead to sin. It says we can be joyous in the trials of life. So um, I felt, for some reason, when I was preparing the message, to kind of confess my sins before you. Now I'm having second thoughts about that. <laughs> Didn't feel like such a good idea looking at all of you right now. <laughs> but First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, and... I've got a friend in this church that once in a while he'll call me or I'll call him and we'll confess our sin. Back in our, Terrence and some of the others, back in our old days at ACC, we used to talk about how, like, if you confess your sin, it's like you're opening it up to the light. And almost like a bacteria, it kind of dies in the sun. Like you open to the light and it has, loses its power. But we need the power to overcome sin. I saw sin once, uh, as an example, was on Saturdays, lots of times I used to, especially more when the kids are growing up, I'd spend Saturday, I'd get up a lot, a lot earlier, and I'd get some time. It was one day I didn't have a time frame to be somewhere, and I could spend some time alone with the Lord before the family woke, woke up. And I remember one morning, particular went kind of long. It was a few hours, and I felt like I was in his glory. Reading my favorite book or Bible or felt like the Holy Spirit's ministering. And one of the kids came up, and, uh, or it was Lindy or somebody, one of the kids or Lindy or somebody, and they did something that pushed a button and got me agitated. And I got irritable in like two seconds after being two hours in the glory of God. <laughs> Anybody done that? Like, what the heck? How'd that happen? Any area of my life that is dealing with sin is under the influence of a lie. We like that saying it. Any area of my life that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. But really, anything I'm struggling with, impatience or a lustful thought, which I still have occasionally, or um, getting down into the hot tub of self-pity occasionally, Taking a little dip in there for a few minutes. Anybody done that? I really hate that about myself. But God is changing it, amen? Confess your sins one to another. 
This is the one I really don't want to confess. It happened last night. And um, I just, it, it's an example of how sweet the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is trying to break through and conform us to his image. And he corrects the son in whom he loves. And he does it so gently and so kindly. You fathers, how the Lord instructs you, you do to your kids. Because I was often a lot less patient or demanding or lose just, but he's so kind. Sometimes on big things. So this one's going to make me look bad. So what God's going to do is he's going to take this and we're going to do this as a group together. I'm, I'm giving you permission to confess your sins, right? So I'm at a funeral of a client last night. I don't know him super well. He moved out of town four or five years ago and Um, and so at the service, his daughter got up and shared how he, um, he had come back to faith. She had given him a C.S. Lewis book, and the last few years, his faith had been renewed. And uh, I talked to him a few weeks ago, and I was so excited to hear that, and the Holy Spirit kind of whispered like, it wasn't even in your heart to go chase him about salvation. And it was just like, oh. It's like, God, change that. That's terrible. But he was so kind. And he didn't necessarily tell me, go, you need to talk to him. But he was just saying, like, I shouldn't have had to ask you about that one. we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So obedience is a cool thing. I'm going to close with a, um, a testimony. It's an old testimony. But it, it, is, it explains the, the power of of obedience like few others. So I'm 40 years old. It's an old testimony. It's a 24-year-old testimony. And um, I remember when uh, uh, George Bush W. was president, his daughter was about the same age as Lauren, and somehow I got a little pity party like, this guy's accomplishing so much, and he's got a daughter the same age as mine, look what I'm doing. And I wasn't enjoying my career, and I was doing poorly. Um, I'm in a production-related career where you get 100% commission, and I had been selling 32 units a month, and for the last 18 months, I'd sold 16. So do the math. You're, like, your income's cut, starting to cut in half. That's not fun, right? And kids in schools, and this is starting to affect life. I remember having literally my head on my desk. I'd go in and kind of religious, want to have a quiet time so I could check it off my to-do list. And so I had my head on my desk, kind of a little quiet time. God, I don't know what to do. Are you going to change? Should I, I'm, should I quit? Should I change careers? What do I do? And I was, I was in some form of depression, some, some level I don't. And I'm navel-gazing for months. And I hear a still, small voice say, Pay the bill. 
paying the bill. And uh, my, like, self-pity humor says, like, Moses in his great time of need, standing at the edge of the river, it splits open and he gets to go through. I get pay the bill. Pay the bill. I knew exactly what bill it was. I'd had a business deal partner, and I felt like the guy had done me, done me dirty. And, uh, but I owed him this 1500 He didn't know it. And it was like the Lord said, I don't really care what he did, but you owe him the money. So I called a friend and I said, before I talk myself out of this, I really feel like I heard the Lord. I need to pay this. The next day, out of nowhere came a sale that was like 20 units. Like, it was more than a month of income. And I'm like, wow. Was that related? I don't know. But it didn't fix my problem because Thursday of that week, that was Monday, Thursday of that week, I got my head on my desk. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. Got my, got my head on my desk, and I'm like, God, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. And the hurting is real. And it's 18 months of something not right. And I hear a slim, small voice. I want you to get out of that case. I want you out of that case. I knew exactly what it was. And I was on a, uh, with three other guys, and we, we had a case open where we we're selling benefits to 400 owners of a, benef a famous international benefits consulting firm. Like, when you get to do their benefits, that's good on your resume, right? When the benefits consultants are hiring you, like, that's a good thing. So it was a lot of money, a lot of prestige, and like, oh, this is expensive. He's like, like I want you out. So I called the guy. I'm out. He's like, what? I'm out. And the next day, 30 units out of nowhere, more than a month's pay. And I felt like my cry got to heaven. I felt like my prayer reached heaven and God responded. And, and in one week, 18 months of doing 16 units, the next 18 months, my business exploded and we did 64 units a month, 400% increase, separated by a week of my head on my desk. No difference in network effort, no more staff, no difference in market, no difference anything. 400% change from bad to great. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And I, so obedience to me isn't a dirty word. Like, I'm being discipled by these 70, 70 talks, these 71 pagers. It's a precious thing. It's a... It's a life force. It's my life. My faith is alive. Something happens because every time I'm obedient, God does something like that that lets me know, I, I see what you did. I saw you heard, and I saw how you responded, and he lets me know. We're being discipled by the Holy Spirit to become conformed to the image of his Son. All of us. He conforms us and does things in the mundane, as mundane as a little bill. 
He's got glory in mind, but he's dealing with you in the mundane. And then you in the workplace, me in the workplace of the mundane, the ordinary, it gets sanctified when you put your hands on it. When the Spirit of God that's in you does housework, just does that transaction sale for the thousandth time, that in the mundane, God shows up. It is good, isn't it? I'm feeling pretty good about it. This church attracts leaders. It attracts people that have been places, done things. It's attracting sons. It's attracting fathers and mothers. But he's attracting us because we can hear this message. And there's a call on of our life. You've been ransomed from the fall. You've been ransomed to a call. You've been ransomed by the one who knows your name. It's beautiful. It's precious. Our faith is precious. Like, it's like this jars of clay, this fragile clay jar. Our precious faith that God and the Holy Spirit is working to conform us to the image of his son. It's beautiful. Amen? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.